Hello? Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We're down at the beach this weekend. And actually, you know what? I think, isn't this what we posted on our Facebook and Instagram and everything? The Witch Josh question? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. So Witch Josh has a beach house. And yeah, that is that is definitely me, Josh from Oregon. And yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. Uh, one that you followed as it happened. But uh, basically, my wife, Shelly, and her family bought a small little tiny cabin at the coast in the late 80s. After they passed away, uh, we inherited the house, and there was a lot of uh, rigmarole around getting that title transferred into our name and so many different steps along the way. But what the long and the short of it is that we were um, able to remodel it and rent it on Airbnb to pay ourselves back, and we get to use it from time to time. And we're down here for the weekend, and we enjoyed our time at the beach, but I also had a lot of mowing to do while I was here. So that was me. How about you? What what you been up to? Not too much. Uh, you have to promise me something. If you ever write a memoir, I just need you to title it From Boring to the Beach. <laughs> um, because that would make yeah. me feel better. But let's see, what have I been up to? Not a ton. Today was church, of course, because it's Sunday and uh, uh, we have bunnies and the bunnies are young. And so they actually have been getting in fights. And so Kristen, my wife, had to go out and get a second cage for the bunnies because our two lion headed bunnies are in fighting mode right now. So that is the big news in my household. Uh, well, uh, I hope you're successful because I think it would be a tragedy to lose bunnies because they couldn't get along. Yes, especially because we're going on vacation in a couple of weeks and we're kind of nervous that we're going to like have some friends watching the bunnies and then one bunny will kill the other bunny on our friend's watch and then the friends will feel bad. This is really the uh, thing that is most concerning to us. Yeah, I totally get it. Um, we were rodent sitting i can't remember if it was a hamster or, a bunny <laughs> or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we were watching a pet for a friend and it actually died while while we had it and i tell you what man we felt so bad uh anyway at least they kind of knew because we just felt awful we're like oh my gosh did we do something oh yeah that's awful well hey what's been on your mind well, you know, a, a few episodes ago, we asked the question, why church? And I thought we had a really good conversation. I really enjoyed it. I've actually thought a lot about it ever since. But one of the things that we talked about there, uh, we kind of referenced it in passing, which was this idea of uh, good worship. What what makes for a good worship service? And I'd like to unpack that a little bit and and talk through it a bit. I want to know... When we say, oh, the worship was good, I think we probably mean various things by that, or depending on who's speaking, or depending on what the experience was like. But like, what should we mean by that? And what does make for a good worship experience or worship service? Oh, that's good. Uh, I, Of course, I think for the sake of this conversation, we will have to pretend that Romans 12, 1 and 2 are not in the Bible. 
because <laughs> I, I think what you mean is a worship service, right? Like, this is not the moment where we need to be deep and theological and say, well, we understand that our whole lives are worship if we're sacrificial. And I, I, I think all of that's true, by the way, but I don't think that's right. really what you're trying to hit on. Is that, am I right? You, you are right. And thank you, because it can be easy to confuse terms. And uh, I think some might say that kind of poking fun, like, aha, caught you. But, you know, some might genuinely be uh, concerned that we didn't, we didn't address that. So yes, I completely agree. I really am talking about musical worship and what makes that quote unquote good. So I would love to talk about this. And if I can tell a story about you, I remember you wrestling with this. Like when we first met, I remember having a conversation with you about a church that you were going to at the time, I think. I don't think it's the one where you you were pastoring, but at some point you were going to a church and you were very frustrated about the worship. And I don't remember what you were frustrated about. I just remember the fact that you cared enough about a good worship service that this, whatever it was, wasn't it and that that was like having a rock in your shoe and having to walk 100 miles for you. Do you remember this kind of thing ever happening to you in our high school days? College days? Um, college days, yes, college days. <laughs> I don't remember this at all. However, I feel like I've had, to use your phrase, this particular rock in my shoe for as long as we've known each other. So I'm not at all surprised. I have complained about worship services for a very, very long time. You know, diplomatically, that's what I was trying to say. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have some genuine opinions on the matter, and I hope not because I'm just cantankerous, though that's quite possibly true. But I heard this week somebody ask the question, who benefits Whenever a decision is made or a policy enacted or something, ask the question, who benefits? And I think the same question is true in a worship service. If we're going to call it worship, who benefits from it? Who is being honored in that moment? Are we honoring the band? Are we, and this I think happens a lot, are we honoring ourselves? Are we honoring the body of Christ? Are we honoring Christ? I think there's very easy ways, and I think our culture is susceptible to them, to stray from the whole point of worship and get into some territory where the wrong person is being honored. And I think that's Mm. what bothers me most. So then, with all of that in mind, let's start off with you telling me what makes good worship since that was the question you posed. Yeah, it is a question I posed. And and because I have this long-standing rock in my shoe, um, I don't want this to be a rant. I really do want to engage in dialogue and and hear from you as well what makes good worship in your opinion. So I'm going to throw out maybe some pieces as I've thought about this over the years. And I'd I'd love to just keep adding pieces because I don't think any one succinct answer is going to get to it. But I think one of the pieces is how often we're talking about 
God himself and what God has done versus what I am doing or what I am benefiting from God. Let me pause. I think there's a moment to celebrate the benefits that we get from God. But when our entire worship is centered around, look what you're doing for me, it really transitions very quickly into a me-centered worship. And so I really want to see worship that is very God-centered with a little bit of me to show the relationality of it. But even more than me, there's a lot of me and I in a lot of our worship service, worship songs. And I want to see a lot more we, we the body of Christ, we this corporate body that we are bringing honor to God. That is a different, again, separating the me-centeredness of our culture and focusing much more on something bigger than us, bigger than me as an individual. This is the congregation coming together to honor God. And I think that we and God dynamic is a piece of what I think makes for good worship. Mm, That's interesting. So I want to wrestle with this idea that you're suggesting that it needs to be God-honoring rather than me-focused. And I want to throw a piece of what my particular tradition does into it, tell you why I like it, and then ask the question, how does this particular piece of my tradition's worship fit into that or not fit into that, in your opinion? Because I actually find it to be very God-honoring, but I could see how it could be taken in exactly the opposite direction. After the first song at, at my church, every single Sunday, we have a moment that we call Prayer for the Sick. And it is more than just a moment. Of our traditional three-song set, it takes the entire second song. So during the second song in worship, during my church's service, before the second song, someone comes up on stage and says, if you need prayer, this is the moment where we want to pray for you. And somewhere between six and ten church leaders come up to the front and they stand at the front of the church and regularly somewhere between 20, 30, or 40 people will come up and one by one be prayed for by the leadership of the church. We call it prayer for the sick. It really should be just a little bit of a broader title. Uh, So I don't want to get lost on on the title, even though that's how I introduced it. You could be praying for a relationship to be restored. You could be praying for to actually physically be healed. You could be praying for deliverance from an addiction, any number of things. But here's why I like this in the context of worship. Because number one, it is someone physically coming to God saying, I am in need. And I think that's a powerful part of worship. I'm the recipient, no matter how we do this, God. I need you. I have nothing to offer. My hands are empty. I'm just desperate. And second, it is setting God up to be glorified because it is giving God an opportunity to work in situations that we desperately need him. And it is not a part of the tradition that I grew up in to see this happen. It is not a part of the church, the way my church that I was at for 17 years didn't do this, but I have come to really like this moment because 
heart of worship, I think, is acknowledging that I come as a supplicant and that God is a bestower of gifts. Does that make sense? It totally does. <clears throat> and and I love it. That's not something that happens in my church or in the churches I grew up in. So I'm not familiar with it. Although, I mean, I've been in church services where that has been the case, but... Most recently, probably mine. Y- yes, yes. But I like it. And I like the posture of it as you're talking about it. I mean, the coming as a supplicant, I don't think that is me-centered at all. I think it's absolutely what the posture that worship should be. And it makes me think of a a friend of mine who grew up in a very, very conservative—I don't want to name the denomination because I don't want to cast dispersion, but very, very conservative church. And at least in the, the particular expression that he was in, he felt like he had to do a lot of healing coming out of that. And one of the places that he sought to go to a new church and take a new turn was a very liturgical type church. And when he he really enjoyed the posture of taking communion as a congregation, they would file to the front where the officiant would hand them the bread and the cup. And the only thing you as a congregation member would do is hold out your hands and you would just simply receive. And that posture spoke volumes to him, Mm. because the only thing he could do in taking communion was just receive it. Just come and just receive. And I think that's the same thing you're talking about in your worship services, and I think it's fantastic. I think it is less likely to become me-centered in an activity like that than in some of our worship songs with very me-centered lyrics and me-centered ideas that we're, we're singing supposedly to God. Yeah, that's a good point. A good worship song focuses your attention on who God is. I was thinking recently, so this, I don't know how new this song is, but have you heard the song In Jesus' Name by, I think it's Katie Nicole? Can you tell me more about it? So it opens up with, and it's the first song I've ever heard that I can remember with this kind of language. It says, I speak the name of Jesus over you. In your hurting, in your sorrow. Yes, yes, okay. I have never heard a worship song about Jesus' name before. Hmm. And I love this song specifically because of the idea of declaring the power of the name of Jesus. Even though it talks about circumstances and my, you know, me, my fears and whatever, it never gets far. And I, I, it doesn't even talk about the name of Jesus that often. But at least when I hear the song, I am transported to the moments in the book of Acts where... Peter or John or whoever say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the power that comes literally from just speaking Jesus' name in that situation. I love that song because it does exactly this for me. It brings my attention to God as he's revealed in Christ and to the power of Jesus uh, in a really, for me, a really incredible way. 
I agree. I, I heard that song actually on the radio. I don't listen to the radio very often, but my family was in the car, and so we had the radio on. And I heard it just the first time ever, just a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It does really reflect the power of God to work in somebody's life. And I think that's, despite, as you say, the personal struggles that are articulated, it's all in the name of Jesus that that person receives healing. And that's that's the point of the song. Hmm. So I want to ask you something about worship that I'm always thinking about pastorally. And I don't know if anybody else ever thinks about it or not. But what actually... You know what? I'm going to get to that question in a second because I actually want to back up. There's a first question I should ask. Part of the question I want to ask is, what helps you worship? But in light of some of the things you've said, I'm asking myself if that's a valid question. On some level, that is a very egocentric question. What helps me worship? What helps you worship? Well, okay, so... To what degree is that a fair question? I think it's a fair question because what is a worship pastor except a guide for worship? Their whole job is to lead the congregation to the feet of Jesus and help us worship. And so I think there are things that they can do to help, and I think that they there are things that they can do to hinder. And so... I can only speak to my experience in that. So I I still think it's a valid question, even though I can see how it can get to a a me-centered idea. Is that still what you're you're driving at? Yeah, 100%. And so the thing I think about, you just talked about the worship pastor, and I'm sure we'll get to that, or the whatever you call the person, the person up there who's guiding and facilitating the, the moment. But before we even get to that, how much does the context impact your ability to worship? The facility, the room itself, the aesthetic choices, how much does that impact your worship? Yeah, I think my answer to both is the same because I'm wondering, does both the environment and the people leading worship communicate what it is we're there to do? Is there some ostentation with it. And I think there can be ostentation both in the facility and with the people on stage. So authenticity, on the other hand, really matters to me. Uh, Let me give you an example. One of my favorite worship experiences of all time is is from a little tiny church in the middle of Missouri called Union Mound Baptist Church. I, I... I don't imagine that that church is even still there. When we were in college, we had these uh, ministry experience days. And basically, it was churches in the area that would allow us pastoral ministry students to come in and get some preaching experience, and the church would get pulpit supply whenever their pastor was away. And uh, did you ever go to Union Mound or hear about it? Uh Uh-uh. I remember ministerial experience days, and— loved them. I thought they were a brilliant idea, but I don't think I ever went to that. 
I don't remember the names of the churches I went to, though, so I maybe. This is this one would stick out. So Union Mountain Baptist Church, literally, you had to drive over the river and through the woods. I don't remember how far it was. It was probably over an hour from the school. And you, you drove these back roads, highways, and then you turn off onto this dirt road and you keep going for a very, very long time. And you're you're in the woods in the middle of nowhere. You haven't seen a house, uh, uh, any evidence that people live there for quite some time. You cross over these creeks. Okay, just to be clear, you are currently describing every ministerial experience day I ever okay. did. Okay, good. I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't just uh, send me to the really small churches. So anyway, I, you go way out in the middle of nowhere, dodging the turtles crossing the road. Eventually, you see this really old one-room schoolhouse, and it's your first clue that there might be some civilization here. And you turn down this other gravel road, and lo and behold, you find this church. And this church, I I counted them, they had 13 pews in this church. It was so tiny. And there might have been 20 or so people in attendance. All of them were above 70, uh, some of them well above 70, except for one little five-year-old granddaughter or great-granddaughter that was there, and she was the life of the party. And the guy up front leading worship, he was kind of, uh, I don't know, a little gruff. The gal on the piano, she just didn't know how to play very well. She was often in the wrong key or the wrong tempo. And the leader would like stop and be like, no, no, we're in the key of E. And, you know, and he, okay, this is the beat we're going to be. All right, ready? Okay. And then they would like go their separate ways and we'd sing the song anyway. And uh, it was so awesome. Shelly and I talk about that experience so often because these folks were not putting on airs. They weren't trying to impress anybody they were genuinely showing up to the church that they had always showed up to, and they're singing the hymns that they know to sing because they came to worship. And it was horrendously bad music, and it was offbeat, and it was so hard to sing along. And yet, it is a worship experience that has allowed me to continue worshiping for a very long time. I just loved seeing the faithfulness of these folks just trying to get by and do whatever they could to patch together a worship service. So you ask, how does the environment or how do the people help me worship? I, maybe one, one answer is just being genuine. Mm, that's good. And I, and I think you're right, you know, especially if I tie what you just said to my thoughts on our prayer for the sick element. Those people were coming as supplicants, right? It wasn't about yeah. them. They weren't thinking, boy, how awesome am I? I do think that that is a major part of worship is authentic humility. Mm. And this is why, by the way, coming back to the facility piece, my tradition of church wants church to be a black box. This sanctuary is just a black box theater. The walls are a darkish color. The stage is a black stage, and we've got lots of lights and all that kind of technological stuff that we do. And all of that is designed to help with focus. So you can dim the lights, remove the distractions, help everybody focus, put the words on the screen so that everybody can actually focus on what really matters. 
and that's great. But if I'm being honest, the context I worship best in is like a 200-year-old giant cathedral. And it's because you can't help but sit in a giant cathedral and not feel like you, you're going to feel small. Mm. And, and that's really good for me. Really good for me. I love when the environment of the church makes me feel small. Uh, not insignificant, but small. Is there a way that a, either in the way that a worship service is led or a way that the uh, environment is constructed, that in addition to feeling small, you would also feel connected, like a part of a body, that it's not just you, it's we. As, are there elements that help that be true for you? Hmm. Not in singing. If I'm being totally honest, when I get to serve in my church, I am worshiping in a we context. When I help a guest sit down, I am worshiping in a we moment. When I see prayer for the sick, or when we you mentioned communion, I find communion to be a profoundly communal activity. But in singing, there is a background of communal activity and a foreground of me and Jesus. I don't know if that's right or wrong or good or bad. I don't I don't know that I have any evaluation of it at this moment, but that is my experience. I I don't know that it gets more communal for me. And I'm trying to think about why that is. I think in part because I am easily distracted. I have struggled with distraction my whole life, as you well know. Therefore, there is an ongoing lifelong tension for me in worship between wanting to give God my full attention and all these other people in the room that are things that are distracting me. Mm. It is very hard for me. Those become diverging points of focus for me, and it's, it's genuinely very difficult. That makes sense. Yeah, the, the ADD piece, I actually had never really thought about, but you're right. I think there's so much going on in a crowd of people that I can imagine that that would be really distracting. Yes, it's, it's super hard for me. Whereas, when I'm praying the Book of Common Prayer, and there's the word we is in the Book of Common Prayer, I am deeply mindful of the fact that across the world, hundreds, maybe thousands of people are praying this exact prayer in dozens of languages all at the same time, and it becomes a profoundly communal worship moment for me, even though I'm sitting alone in my room. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here, I want to I want to shift it up a little bit. You've asked me a couple of questions, but I actually am really interested in your answers to the big question, what makes a good worship service? And I, I'm going to prime the pump a little bit. You particularly have been working at your church 
through some transitions in worship pastors, and you've had some interims come in, and you've done a lot of different things trying to identify how to make you know worship a, a stable and effective ministry at your church. That's been, I presume, very much on your mind lately. And though I, I'm not inviting you necessarily to speak directly to that, I imagine that all of these thoughts have been brewing for you. And I kind of want to know, what, what have you been thinking about? What are some of the goals that you have developed in terms of how do we make the worship experience effective and quote-unquote good for the people that come to our church? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm actually, so we are in the middle of talking with some folks who might be taking over that that role of worship director. And we have these three words that we use for worship at our church. And they are in the job description, and I have them underlined in the job description to make sure that whoever's leading, I want them to be able to recite these words to me at all times. And those three words are engaging, energetic, and authentic. Well, I'm happy to hear authentic makes the list. Yeah. Uh, We want worship to be engaging as opposed to you feel like you're an audience member watching a show. We want worship, Sunday morning worship, to be energetic. That is to say, you are putting your whole self into the moment. It doesn't mean that's the only emotional tone you should ever have in your relationship with God, but it is the one that we are focusing on in our Sunday morning experience. And then finally, this other one of authentic, you are coming to God as you really are. And when I think about what does it mean to create a worship environment that has those three things, engaging, energetic, and authentic worship, it's interesting. One of the the challenges we have, and I, I think this is probably true for many churches, and, and Again, it feels like I'm almost going to end up saying the opposite of your little country Baptist church thing. What was the name of that church? That was awesome. Union Mound. That was awesome in its non-awesomeness. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Union Mound. Uh, so, again, and much of this, I think, is coming from the fact that I am a highly distractible person, and I am not—I don't represent a small percentage of the population— Yeah. My experience is that people can get out of connection with God in worship. They can lose their focus on God in worship generally fairly easily. So if worship is happening and there's a giant feedback moment, it muddles up the moment. If worship is happening and you know, there's some big crash or whatever, it muddles up the moment. The other part of it, I think, is if people walk in and don't know what to expect, if they aren't clued in to what is happening right now, I think it is very hard for them to worship. So like I told you about this prayer for the sick thing, this happened just this morning. We had people walk into church. They were 
clearly Christians because they were carrying their Bibles. They were 20-somethings. They walked in in the middle like of people walking to the front for this prayer for the sick moment that I described earlier. And they were first-time guests trying to find a seat when 20% of people had just left their seats. Oh, no. And they had no idea why. And they could tell that a bunch of people weren't in their seats, but they didn't know where to sit. And it was fairly dark because we keep it fairly dark. And they were genuinely confused. And one of the things I think more about worship than anything else is how wildly important it is for there to be an usher at every door once the worship service starts to cue people in as they enter the room. I would almost go as far far as to say those ushers, if they do their job well, they are on the worship team. Mm. Because we can't assume every person who's walking in is going to get what we do and why we do it and how we do it and what we're going for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially when, you know, if you adopt my definition of the worship team, these are the people that are there to help usher people into the presence of God. Ushers in the in the definition. I mean, He's literally in the title. Yeah, I I love that idea that that's part of the worship team. Hey, we're, let's guide these folks into what we're doing and how we're doing it, so that they can participate. I think that's a wonderful use of or a branding, if you will, if you want to use a crass word like that, uh, for what an usher is doing in that moment. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, you and I have claimed with our usher team, because the challenge is we need ushers at the front of the room to steer people towards who can pray for them. But then we also need ushers at the back of the room to welcome people into the sanctuary. So it takes a ton of ushers to do this moment well, to genuinely do it well. So that's one thing I, I constantly am thinking about. The other thing I find myself thinking about is... Our sanctuary is full. If you can, on a good day, put 250 adults in our sanctuary, we had 238 or something like that in the sanctuary this morning. Mm. Which means we have a room that is an overflow room that streams the service live. And the other thing I'm thinking a lot about is how do we make that a genuine, authentic worship experience as opposed to just a room where a TV is playing. Mm. And I do not have all the answers to this. I need to like help. I need to figure this out. But it's a giant question that's on my mind. That's a good question. And I don't know how that room is constructed, but let me walk you through something that uh, they did at one of the churches I used to go to. Actually, my mentor, Dean, if you're listening, shout out to you. You're amazing. Um, Hey, Dean, if you are listening, I just have to tell you, I hear about you a lot. It's it's a true statement. And so Dean was the worship pastor at a church that Shelley and I went to for like 10 years. Um, He has since moved on to become a a senior pastor at a a different church. But as the worship pastor, he put up 
these tables at various places around the sanctuary. And eventually when they redesigned and, and built a new sanctuary, they actually made alcoves to house these tables. And the tables always had like a chalice of wine, or some of them had grape juice, and a bowl of bread pieces where you could literally go and and serve yourself communion or gather your family or friends or whatever around the table. And you could do this at any part of the worship service. And he also laminated some, you know, ancient prayers of repentance and different things and laminated them and stuck them on the table that you could pray these prayers as you took communion. And so I wonder, and I think, you know, back to back to our time in Missouri when the International House of Prayer up in uh, Kansas City was going on. And I think that, though, I, th- I think you went there and I never did, but you, you did go there, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 So I, as I recall, or as you've told me, I think there are all these different stations where you could pray in various ways. And I don't know if your overflow room could accommodate some of those, but that's what I thought of initially was, oh, maybe there's some new ways to interact with God that are present in that room that people feel drawn to. Ooh, that's a great idea. Um, Yeah, we'll have to keep wrestling with that. Man, I feel like we are going to need a part two of this conversation because I have like 15 other thoughts that I still want to get to. Same, Um, same. And so I I think we're going to have to pause and jump into other thoughts so that we get a chance to share our other thoughts. But I want to come back to this and keep talking about this. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But yeah, let's let's jump into thoughts. What are you thinking about? As it so happens, we actually haven't talked in the last couple of weeks. We've both been really busy. I'm, I'm dying to know what you're thinking about. Yeah, well, uh, one thing that I've been thinking about that's really a fresh thought this week, for the first time ever... I have used something that you have spoken highly of for a very long time. For years, I feel like I have heard you talk about the Pray As You Go app. And another this week, a, another Dean influenced experience. Oh, see, thanks, Dean. I appreciate <laughs> you. Um, I have used the, the Pray As You Go app several times this week. First of all, just, I have to say, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I appreciate how much space for reflection it gives and found it to be a really good addition to my kind of devotional life. But my thought that came out of one of those days is that, uh, I don't remember if it was Thursday or Friday, it focused in on John 15, 15, and the verse that it focused on was the, the verse where Jesus says, now I call you friends. And it paused and asked some question like, what does it mean to you to have Jesus call you a friend? Hmm. And I'll be honest, that question bowled me over. I think of Jesus as master, as king, as leader, as boss, as director, as father, or I think of God as father. 
But there is something that is still to this day a little startling to me to be reminded that I get to think of Jesus as my friend. Yeah. And I am deeply grateful for that. Not for the startlement, but for the friendship. Yeah, I I was struck by that as well when I listened to that. And I think because that statement makes me uncomfortable. I mean, they ask you, you know, what's your reaction to that? And I think it's kind of so incomprehensible to me that I don't, I think I'm baffled. I think that's my reaction. I'm baffled. I'm honored, but I, I'm kind of baffled. And so I struggle with answering what is my reaction to that because it's, it's so convoluted. It's so kind of awe-inspiring. I just don't know what to do with it. Yeah, and I think the other half of it for me, and I'm curious if you feel this way, is I feel like there is an echo in my head, and I don't want to... People our age blame every weakness in their spiritual life on their evangelical heritage. And I don't want to do that because I don't know that it's that. But there is an echo in my head from somewhere that says you probably do not honor God enough as greater than you. You probably presume too much and like, you know, you probably go the Jesus is my homeboy direction too much. (laughs) And so therefore, you better work harder at seeing God as distant, greater, transcendent, whatever. And somehow you might be just being a little spiritual sloppy, spiritually sloppy if you focus on the simple, easy stuff like Jesus is your friend. And yes. therefore, I don't work on that stuff. And quite honestly, if I'm evaluating, I probably should be. I don't land there often enough. Does that make sense? That's exactly how I feel about it. And I'm so glad you put words to it. Yeah, you nailed it. Exactly. I have nothing more to add except to say you make a lot of sense. All right. Well, that's where I'm at. What have you been thinking about? All right. So I have a simple thought this week, but I'm going to do a little bit of lead up. So one of the things when we come down to the beach, my dogs, they love to come down with us and they love the routine of getting up early in the morning, and I always take them for a walk. And they cannot contain themselves. It must be nice to have dogs that are capable of walking. (laughs) My dog only runs. Well, yes, uh, they do a lot of that on the beach as well. Um, But this area of the Oregon coast is, is just wide open, and there's lots and lots of beach and almost no people most of the time, especially early in the morning. So we, I can just let them off leash, let them run, and they love it. One of my dogs love to, loves to chase a ball. The other just loves to sniff every smell and add his own scent to everything. So they just run up and down the beach doing this, and, and they love it. So I guess I, I say that to say that dogs are very routine-oriented creatures, and they come to learn our habits like, oh, when we're at the beach every morning, dad gets up and takes me for a walk. I can get I can get behind that. But the other thing that they do when we're at home and it's it's a day where Shelly can take the morning easy, she has a little routine going about the house and 
she will brew a cup of coffee in the Keurig. And then as soon as it's done, she will walk across the house and sit on the couch and pull a blanket over her. We heat with wood. And so it is often chilly in the house in the morning, except for the couple of months a year where it's actually warm in Oregon. But anyway, so she, she pulls a blanket over her and sits down on the couch to drink her coffee. And the dogs, they watch this whole process. They sit and they watch her with the coffee. Okay, great. She's got the coffee. Now let's go stand over by the couch and they go stand by the couch and they just sit eagerly. They know which seat is hers and they wait for her to sit down. And then she pulls over the blanket. And now it's finally time. And they jump and they get snuggled up next to her. And one of them always sits at her feet and another one sits right next to her. And they're finally settled. They're so happy. And I thought that this was uh, maybe hokey, but also really inspiring in, in terms of what it means to be a disciple, that you just watch so carefully and so closely. I think about the way that the disciples, the 12 disciples, were encouraged to follow Jesus. They were encouraged to follow Jesus like that. Just sit here and watch and wait for the rhythms of how I do this and fall in. I just think that that's a great picture of discipleship. So that's my thought for the week. That's awesome. And, you know, I want to hear other people's thoughts. I want to hear What is everybody else thinking about? What are other pictures from their lives about good discipleship? Like you were saying, I want to hear their thoughts about what it means to be friends with God. I want to hear their thoughts about what it, what is good worship. And so I hope if you're listening that you go over to our uh, Reddit thread on the phone with Josh and give us your thoughts and check us out on Instagram and Facebook. We would love to keep a conversation going with you. That's why we do this. It really is. And I tell you, like we said, we have barely scratched the surface about what it means to have a quote-unquote good worship service. So I'm looking forward to everybody filling in the gaps. There's a lot more to cover. So I can't wait to read what everybody has to say. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with that, are we on for next week? Absolutely. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. I'll talk to you then. All right. Talk to you then. Bye.